Now this morning I want to play an icebreaker with you. Is that okay? Now it depends on your response. <laughs> because icebreaker, uh, if I'm always the one talking, there's no response, it's very hard. <laughs> Can we do that? Okay, so how many of you are gardeners? You have green hands. Raise your hand. Alright, maybe you will know this. Huh? Can you guess what type of tree, tree is this? Anybody? Dragon fruit. Well done. <laughs> okay, I can see there are many dragon fruit lovers. Huh? Uh, what about this one? This one, Reverend Joseph, you love this tree. Huh? Yes, durian tree. Uh, when I show this fruit to others, they don't recognize this as durian because this is before the thorns came out. Okay, durian tree. Huh? <clears throat> what about this one? Anybody? Chiku! Wrong! It's pear tree! What about this one? This is quite an easy one. <clears throat> Banana, definitely not. <laughs> okay, it's apple tree! Okay, let's guess this one. You might have planted this at your house. This is actually from my house. What is this? This chili plant. How do you know the plants or the tree? By their fruits. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says, you will know them by their fruits. And so he says, every good tree bears good fruit. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, I have a problem because uh, my chili plant has been giving me problem. Actually, not mine. My wife's chili plant. <laughs> For a time, it was bearing fruit. But after a while, it was growing really well. Like, it was growing tall with many leaves, but no chili. Now, if you are the one planting the chili plant, and your chili plant is growing tall with many leaves and growing like really big, but there are no chilies, are you happy with that? No. And so Jesus spoke a parable about this too. And he says in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9, can we read the word of God together? Ready, go. Verse 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Trees that doesn't bear fruit. The Bible says this, that the man who planted it wanted to cut it down. At this moment, I tell you, at the time of writing the sermon, my chili plant has been disposed of. Right, my wife told me, I said, hey, where's the chili plant? I want to take a picture of seeing whether it has got some chili. She said, no more already. Lah. <clears throat> now, it's a very serious warning to us, isn't it? Because even to my wife, she has to remove the plant so that she can plant other things, right? And therefore, we need to heed this warning. Because this parable is reminding us that God is expecting fruit from us. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, you got a bad fruit. 
Now you must understand that uh, figs in Singapore are really hard to chew because dry figs, when I first ate dry figs in Singapore, I really dislike it. But when I went to Israel, fresh figs are really sweet and juicy. Now some of you have tasted that. But if you really know about fig trees, the fig tree that was planted first time, it will take about two to three years for it to bear first crop. Sometimes it takes up to five years. So the Bible says that there is this man who owns this vineyard and he planted a fig tree and he went back there again and again for three years. Now obviously that is the lifespan for the first crop. In fact, after it has produced the first crop, in one year, you can have two harvests. Meaning to say, after he has borne the first fruits, which is not so juicy and nice, it will continue to produce. Now, I can't help but think about us as the fig tree. I can't help but think about us when Jesus is looking at this vineyard and looking at us and say, well, how many of this fig tree I can find fruits on it? And so today we need to remember when Jesus was speaking this parable to the audience that was listening, the audience understood what he was saying. Because the barren fig tree was a reminder for them. Now you must understand that the fig tree and the vineyard are symbols of the Jewish nation, which God had cultivated and cherished for many centuries in the hope that it would be spiritually fruitful. And a special relationship with Yahweh. But all this while, we have read from scripture to scripture that he has turned into a barren religion. It has become a religion that didn't express the true spirituality that God wanted. How do I know that? In Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7, it says this, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plants or tree. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. It is like the man who was looking for fruits, the fruit of justice, the fruit of righteousness, but then God saw there were oppression. There were people crying out. And this is the contrast. The contrast and the difference that what God expects, it turned out to be something really bad. Now, you must understand it's good to have some expectations, right? Now, unrealistic expectations are not good. In fact, uh, there was a time when I was preparing a message for a wedding and I was reading through stuff and I came through these statistics that says unmet, uh, most marriages fail because of unmet expectations. So I was quite delighted. I turned to my wife. We were walking in a car park. I turned to her and I said, hey, you know, uh, most marriages fail because of unmet expectations. So she turned to me and said, yeah, that's why when I'm married to you, I have no more expectations. <laughs> so I started to roll my eye. <laughs> then I said, no, lah. we must at least expect not to commit adultery. Right? I said, yeah, lah, yeah. Lah. <laughs> so there are certain expectations, but not unrealistic expectations. And to expect fruit, to expect fruit on the tree that the man has planted is a normal expectation. There is potential in everyone to bear fruit. Amen? So every seed, right? There is a potential for it to flower, to blossom, to become flower, die and bear fruit. In fact, there was a story of a, a kindergarten girl that was drawing and the, the teacher was saying, you know, draw something about garden, flowers. So this little girl, about 
three to four years old, drew a flower and then draw a big circle around it. So the teacher asked the little girl, I said, I can see that you have a beautiful flower. What is the circle? He said, this is not a flower. This is a seed, a big seed. One day, it will be a flower. Well, I think the girl has a vision that many adults don't have. Isn't it? How wonderful it is because there's a vision that God is placing in the church today that we will bear fruit, that we will produce. But the question I have for us today is, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? And if you are, what kind of fruit? Because the kind of fruit that God has been talking about in Galatians 5, 22 to 23 is this. But the fruit of the Spirit is, read together, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Meaning to say that if you do have this character and attitude in your life, you already have the law of God in you. Therefore, against such character, against such fruit, you need no external law to control you because you already have self-control. You have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is not nine fruits. Uh. We have been telling the children, this is not nine fruit. This is one fruit with nine characteristics. Meaning to say, you cannot just say, today I have love, tomorrow then I have joy. It comes all in one. Is it difficult to have all these characteristics in your life? Yes. And therefore, we need the life of sanctification. Very long word, but it is an important word. A process for us to become clean again and again. Because the Bible says that if you abide in me, if you remain in me, Jesus says, I will remain in you. And the verse 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And therefore, the only way we can produce is when we abide in him. Now, Pastor Kim Yong few services ago, talked about this fruit. There's this fruit of salvation. There's this fruit of the Spirit and fruit of evangelism. And today, in the context, I really think that Jesus was talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Why so? Because, first of all, to bear this fruit, we need to have evidential faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, evidential faith. Faith that can be seen. You know, when you love someone, you can, actually can see it. When you see a couple that's in love, you, you know they are always talking about one another. In Chinese, uh, we always tell people, don't have 爱你在心口难开. <laughs> because after that, you have 无言的结局. <laughs> Meaning to say that if you stop talking, uh, you start guessing, uh, things will not go down very well. <laughs> in fact, there was a story about this uh, diary of the wife and the husband. You see, the wife's diary says this, Tonight, I thought my husband was acting weird. We had plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends and I thought he was upset that I was a bit late. He made no comment on it. Conversation wasn't flowing. And on he goes, uh, I suggest we go somewhere. He didn't want. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I thought it was my fault. I thought he was upset. I thought he was all this. He said, don't worry, nothing. He smiled slightly and kept driving. I couldn't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say, I love you too. When we got home, I felt that I've lost him completely. He wanted to have nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there quietly and watched TV. He was distant and absent. Silence all around us. I decided to go to bed. This is the wife's diary. The husband's diary only got one sentence. Why did England lose again? Eh? <laughs> so husband, if you stop talking, your wife will never understand you. 
But if you, if you really love God, it is evidential. Now, you cannot be a spy, an underground spy wherever you are. I know in the army, I used to have friends uh, who come to me and, and, and they, they are like spies. <laughs> in the army, I used to have these small prayer groups uh, and I have people who are Christian but yet their vulgarities are everywhere. In fact, I used to tell my friends, I say, do you speak like that when you go to work? Uh? They say, no lah. Then how come reservists, uh, you always like all the vulgarity, like free flow. And he said, because there, we cannot speak like that. Here, we can let go everything. <laughs> and, and that's the truth. And in the context of army, it's like this. And it's very hard even just uh, to keep your mouth shut uh, sometimes. But I have some Christians who come to me after a while and say, hey, actually, I'm a Christian. So wow, I was shocked. Because all this while, they were like the ones going out Oh, every vulgarity come out. I say, are, are you sure you're a Christian? He say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it's not right, but cannot help it. <laughs> I say, can help it. <laughs> because we are in the context and we think that we can just flow with the context. But I tell you, when you have faith that can be seen, people will know. People will know. In fact, in James chapter 2, it says this. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith with my works. James was admonishing the church because he was reminding the church that if you just say you pray and you have faith but have no action whatsoever, it is never an outflow of true religion. Now, James was not telling the church that you have to earn your salvation because some people who read this and may think that, well, it is very difficult. It seems like James was telling the church, you must work out your salvation. No. In fact, Paul talks about that in Philippians. You must work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you first. So therefore, James is talking about the same thing. He was reminding us, if you truly have the grace of God in your life, it will flow out through good works. It will flow out. And God wants us to have faith that can be seen. In fact, someone says this, the greatest proof for Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in his practice he will stake his life on his belief. More than once I've heard of friends coming to faith, not so much of being convinced by an argument, but being convinced by an evidence of a Christian lifestyle. Christianity, in fact, Christians should be best known for good works and good attitude and great character. Amen? Turn to your neighbor beside and say, you've got good character and great attitude. <laughs> now, just to encourage. Now. But when I thought of who I can see as a role model, you know, I may not know Pastor Bill Wilson very well, but he came to our church to speak a couple of times. And he's a very good friend of Pastor Daniel. But when I read his story, abandoned at the age of 12 on the streets, and then there was a Christian by the name of Dave Rudinis, came to him, saw him by the street corner, gave him food, gave him shelter, brought him to his place, brought him to a Christian camp. 
And there at the camp, at the camp Pastor Bill Wilson met Jesus. And he said this, he said, in the camp, he said, my mother doesn't want me. And then there are many Christians there didn't want to pray for him. He said, the Christians don't want me. And he said, Jesus, if you want me, here I am. And that started his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's about 70-odd years old, but yet he's still going to different places. In his ministry, he has been shot, he has been beaten. This guy, in Chinese, we say, <laughs> It's like the cockroach that never die. You know, he has been uh, beaten. But I always wonder to myself, why does he still need to go out there at this age? And every time I will hear the resounding cry of him saying, whose responsibility is this child? There are still children to be saved. Because of his own experience, you can see that his faith can be seen. And this is some, these are some quotes that he said, to the world you may be one person, but to one person you may be the world. When I'm unwilling to do the right thing, I become restless, irritable, and discontent. I pray that this morning you have a certain discontent in your spirituality that, that, that actually wants you to change, wants you to do something for the Lord. Not to earn your salvation, but to lift out your faith because of faith that can be seen. It shows fruits to the world. But this fruit must be real. Because there was a story about this little boy. He, he heard that his father was trying to chop down this tree that was not bearing fruit. And he was very upset and worried because the tree was just beside his bedroom. Every time he has to sneak out of the house, he will climb up down the tree. <laughs> so he thought of an idea. He said, maybe I should go and get some apples. So he bought some apples, took uh, some scotch tape, went up the tree and started sticking all these apples there. The next morning, the father saw the tree and so, wow, was so surprised, turned to the wife and said, dear, something amazing happened. Yesterday, I saw that the tree has no fruits and I wanted to chop it down. This morning, it's full of apples. And the most amazing thing is that I thought I planted a pear tree. Now, you must understand that real fruits grow from the inside out. So it is not the external spirituality that God is looking for. It is not what robes that you are wearing. It is not whether you are doing this or that. It is from the inside out. And therefore, the second thing we need to understand about bearing fruit is that we have actions that are not fake. Unhypocritical actions unhypocritical actions. Luke chapter 13 started, as we read, from the parable. And after Jesus spoke this parable, he entered into a synagogue. And today, I bring these two narratives because to me, I see a significant similarity in these two narratives. Let's read on. Verse 10. Together. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Now, a spirit of infirmity meaning that this woman, the Bible says, was demon-possessed. And because of that, the Bible says that she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. For 18 years, this woman has been walking like this. Bent over, couldn't raise, couldn't stand straight. And this is a sickness that's caused by 
a demon, by a spirit, spirit of infirmity. Now, verse 12 says this together. But when Jesus saw her, amen. I like this. When Jesus saw her, praise God that when men and women did not see you, Jesus see you. And this morning, some of you may be feeling, you know, nobody noticed my struggle. Nobody understood me. But Jesus sees you. And praise God for that. Because in the synagogue, Jesus saw her. He called her to him and said to her, Women, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. I could imagine she's screaming and shouting, Hallelujah! Praise God! You know, everybody, I would imagine in church, will be clapping and maybe Christian will come up and lead us in a praise song. Uh, but that didn't happen. Because in verse 14, it says this, But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. And instead of speaking to Jesus, the Bible says he spoke to the crowd. Spoke to the crowd. Jesus was the one that's healing. Jesus was the one that saw the lady. But now, this angry ruler of the synagogue was turning to the crowd and he said this, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. Well, he was right about the Sabbath that on six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. But he was being religious and not being spiritual. Now, friends, we can be so worked out sometimes in our ministry that we can actually miss the main point that God is driving home. Amen. Sometimes we can be so caught up with the work of the Lord that we cannot see the Lord of the work. And the ruler was one like this. In his understanding and system of ministry, miracles cannot happen on Sabbath. You cannot do all these things. And I realized that all this external religiosity that he has as the ruler, this guy knows the word of God, this guy knows God, this guy is a religious leader, and yet what he was exhibiting was not from the heart of God. Wow. Therefore, I, I realized that truly the true size of the fruit is not always measured by the amount of leaves, by the amount of knowledge you have, by the amount of Bible colleges, certificates, and whatnot. When I was in Bible college, we have this prep work that we have to milk cows, go planting trees, and do all kinds of funny things. And so I remember actually gardening these uh, carrots. And I saw this bunch of leaves, and I thought that this is going to be a big carrot. So I used all my strength, pull out, and it's just like this. And then, to my surprise, there are others with little leaves, and then there's a big carrot. And you can go on to continue to talk about potatoes and all. It can, it can continue to, to think about all these things, and I think there's a story behind and there's a sermon for us. That while you are busy doing all these things, you must ask this question, is this what God is asking us to do? Church of our Savior, is, is this what God is asking us to be in this community? Is it just to come church? I mean, please come church, okay? I'm not asking you not to come church. But as you come, as you listen, as you are convicted, don't just 
Let the conviction stay for that one hour you are in church because the conviction must produce a godly sorrow that makes us want to be able to be the sword and light to do practical things. And he goes on to say in verse 15, the Lord then answered him, the ruler of the synagogue. The Lord, meaning Jesus, said this. What did he say? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. And he said this, Does not each of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the store and lead it away to water it? And so he was saying this, that even on Sabbath you work. Even on Sabbath you help your ox, your donkey. And what about this woman? Being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by them. Hypocritos. That's the Greek word. And this word actually means that you put on a mask and pretend to be someone you are not. I remember a story about this uh, couple that was, uh, the husband is always angry. Husband is always shouting at the wife, but the wife always smiling, politely replying. One day, the husband was convicted, went back and repent and told the wife, you know, I've been so, you know, always angry, shouting at you, but you are always so nice, responding to me, smiling at me. How do you do it? He said, oh, I, I practice, uh, I practice patience by washing toilets. So the husband will say, well, wash toilet also can help you be patient. He said, yeah, because especially when you shout at me, I use your toothbrush to wash the toilets. <laughs> and it was really soothing. <laughs> so behind the smiles may not be the real intention. And I've heard of nations who make laws. Huh? There was this nation that made this law when I was preparing. This is research of them actually talking about eager eggs. Huh? And they would actually fine five hundred to five thousand dollars for people who steal eager eggs. And the same lawmaker, after that I read the article, actually make abortion legalized. And I thought to myself, what hypocrites. You are more concerned about the eagles than the babies. And this is the exact thing that Jesus was talking about. I wonder how many of you have heard of non-Christian friends, people who are not of this faith, that says to you, you know, sometimes Christians are very hypocritical. <laughs> they sing, 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 I love you, but they do all these things that is very contradicting. I've heard of them. But I told myself we ought to, I'm not saying that we are perfect, but I think we need to come to that realization. And while I was preparing this, I was thinking, oh, you know, all these hypocrites, all these hypocrites, I was pointing to other people. Then it dawned upon me that one day, I realized that I was one too. And what happened was this. I was invited to this halfway house news carriage mission to preach that morning, about 8.30. You know, in this halfway house, they have uh, chapel service every morning. And I was uh, privileged to be invited there. And that morning, I was talking about the love of Jesus, to love Jesus deeply. And, and to be honest, I was so blessed by the chapel service, not because of my preaching, but the presence of the Lord. And God was doing something there. And everybody was crying. I was crying also. And, and we felt the move of the Holy Spirit and people were repenting, coming to, to just asking Lord to heal them. And I was so touched. After the service, I felt like, you know, the love of God is just around me. I have this aura of the love of God. I went back home 
and then took a rest before I go back to church again. And as I was sitting at the sofa, it was near to noontime, and my daughter was still sleeping. And I heard my wife and her having some exchange. And suddenly, I do not know what happened. It's something provoked me. And I don't know why the aura of the love of God suddenly just disappeared. And, you know, it's like I'm being possessed by something else. <laughs> and I shouted at my daughter and said, What time already? Still don't wake up! And then when she got up, of course, she's still in her waking up mood. Uh. Some of you have teenage children. Uh. Don't do what I did. Uh, because they need time, uh. Because they sleep very early on. Because they sleep about 3 a.m., 2 a.m. So, so I was... Actually, I lost my cool. Uh. So to cut a long story short, we had a fight. A bad fight. And then after that, I, I decided, you know, ah, don't talk to you already. I need to go back to my room. I start preparing my sermon. And I was reading this passage. I came to Luke 13, and I saw Jesus told him, You hypocrite! And I just felt the Spirit of God convicting me. and say, you know, Chris, you can go on stage there and talk about the love of God, the love of Jesus, and feeling the aura of love. And in seconds, you lost it. In seconds, your nature took over. In seconds, you can just be any other, like any other angry father. So I was so convicted. I went out and I felt like I need to make this right. I went to the kitchen. She was brushing her teeth. She came out and I thought I'd humble myself. And I said sorry to her. And I was expecting that she said sorry back to me. Because she was not very kind to me also. So, but this is a wrong expectation at the wrong time. Because when I say sorry, she gave me her hand in my face and said, Daddy, don't talk to me now. And when she did this, actually inside there was still some anger. But I calmed myself down. I went back to the room and I said, God, please help me with this. And I, I realized that this whole experience reminded you and me that we are all the same. We are all broken people that need God's grace. Amen. We are all broken people that need to practice true faith and true religion. We are just broken and we need the Spirit of God to empower us, to renew us. As I'm being vulnerable here, I hope that as you begin to hear my story, you stop pointing fingers at others and start looking at yourself. Because it's easy to look at others as being hypocritical and forget how hypocritical we are. So the good news is we are not fighting anymore. In fact, I was telling her, I'm going to share this story. He said, what story? The one that we fight. Lah. He said, which one? So many. <laughs> Anyway, we had a good talk that night. We reconciled. We prayed together. And then I was talking to her. And, and like many other young people, they would say this. Daddy, I was just being honest. Lah. I was being authentic. I don't like means don't like. I like means like. Do you think that's, that's really fair? So I took that time for a teaching moment. Lah. And I told her this. I said, honest may not be mature. You can be honest, but it may not be mature. So young people out there, you can say that you're honest. Yes, I like your honesty. I like your authenticity. I love it. And sometimes I can see your heart more than what you're saying. But not all the time, everybody can see that. And therefore, we need to be honest and also mature. And finally, we need to be gracious. And someone who bears real fruit of the Spirit will be gracious. Turn to your neighbor and say, be gracious to me. <laughs> now, let's go back to the parable that Jesus said. There's someone, in fact, there's two persons here, right? 
First one was the owner of the vineyard. And then there's this gardener. The Bible says he's the keeper of the vineyard. And in verse 8, it says this, But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. Praise God for the keeper of the vineyard, isn't it? Because because of the keeper of the vineyard, the tree can survive for a little while longer. Now, if you are the fig tree, you will be very happy to hear that because you are thinking to yourself, I need to bear fruit. How? How? Please help me, right? And because of the keeper of the vineyard, this fig tree has a chance. And today you must understand what grace is. And when grace happens, sometimes the soil must be dug up again. Fertilize must be put on it. Fertilizers are not very nice smelling things, right? And if your life is a bit smelly right now, maybe God is putting fertilizers around it. So don't complain and start to understand why. If you're thinking, you know, I'm not bearing any fruits, I'm struggling with everything, I can't even cope with my own life, how can I reach out to others? Remember, how you respond in your own life, in the way you manage things, is a testimony to others. Amen? It's a testimony. People are watching you whether you like it or not. But I want to compare these two narratives and these two persons. One is the keeper of the vineyard, and one is the ruler of the synagogue because their responses remind us to respond in a way that Jesus wants because Jesus to me is like the keeper of the vineyard and he will want all of us to be like him because the response of the keeper was one that extends grace was one that is genuine was one that takes time to nurture but the one that is the response from the ruler of the synagogue is one that's refrains from grace. That is hypocritical. Instead of nurturing, it's lecturing. And today, if we are only lecturing, we are exhibiting only the religiosity, the outward form of religion, but not true religion. Someone says this, grace means undeserved kindness. It is the gift of God to man the moment he sees he is unworthy of God's favour. Friends, today there are many people who do not understand grace because they do not see that they are broken. And this morning, I want you to know that all of us are broken some way or another. In fact, I was asking my wife uh, for an illustration of grace and she said this, you every time never switch off light, I don't scold you, that's grace. <laughs> but I told her that's not grace, that's mercy. <laughs> because if I don't switch off light, you don't scold me, huh? but yet you cook porridge for me, that's grace. <laughs> and I learned that from Nicky Gumbel because he said if someone punch you and you don't punch back, that's mercy. And those who go to Alpha Course will know that he always says this, uh, when you don't punch back and yet you buy ice cream for the person, that's grace. That's grace. And I know my life is full of grace. In fact, I was young, uh, I was very naughty. Uh. I used to learn stealing from my brothers because I saw them stole a book, a comic book without being caught. Uh. So I decided to try that at a very young age. I went to this mama shop, started to put the sweets under the table when the owner was not looking and pretend nothing happened. I walked away. When I was walking away, the owner looked at me and said, boy, are you going to pay for the sweet below the table? <laughs> and then I was caught. He was not upset. He turned to me and said, you shouldn't steal anymore. And that very day, I learned grace because he gave me the sweets. 
Now you must understand that when you receive grace, you must learn to extend grace. And I have a chance to extend grace a few years ago when I was purchasing some stuff for some friends during Christmas. We must learn that grace receivers become grace givers. And there was this lady that was helping us to make these souvenirs. She has to engrave certain things. Normally they engrave names, but I asked them to engrave verses. So I collected a few verses from friends, and then I wanted to ask them to choose the right color, the right color and the right verse. So she was engraving. It took some time. She asked me to go shopping for a few hours, came back. So we came back, and she looked really troubled because she engraved some verses wrongly and chose the wrong color. So she asked me, can you accept this? I said, I can't. I can't give a wrong verse, right? Maybe even, you know, something that is actually very wrong. So I said, I can't accept this. And she said this, if you don't accept it, I have to pay for it. And yesterday I paid $40 for a shirt that I engraved wrongly. And I felt sorry for her. I said, okay, don't worry. I will buy this and you engrave the right ones. So I gave her some time. So she said, come back again in half an hour. She was delighted. And when we were walking away, I was having a conversation with my eldest daughter. You know, the one that I always fight with. In fact, she recently told me, that is all your fault, actually, because all the genes come from you. <laughs> so anyway, we're having this conversation, and we were, as we were walking out, she was saying, hey, this shop owner, this, this lady was working there, she's quite poor thing, uh, we should bless her. Uh. I said, yeah, yeah, you should, you should bless her. And she said, maybe you should buy chocolate for her. I said, okay, we buy chocolate for her. She said, then you buy. Uh. I said, no, I'm just suggesting to you. <laughs> I said, no, 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 you have to follow through your suggestion, okay? You have to follow through, you came up with the idea, you bless her. And so she used her own pocket money, bought the chocolate, went back to the shop, and we talked to her. And when she received the chocolate, she was so happy. I took the chance, whip out our Chinese uh, track, uh, child blessing, and I was talking to her, I asked her this question, do you know what is grace? And she smiled and turned to me and said, of course. And she took the chocolate and said, this is grace. This is grace. And I thought, wow, I didn't thought about that at first. But when she said, this is grace, I took the chance to share the gospel with her and she accepted Jesus Christ that very day. Let's give a clap offering to her. She's a Malaysian, probably went back to, to her nation already. But I want you to know that today God is reminding us that He is the keeper of the vineyard. He's the keeper of the vineyard. He's putting fertilizers there. He's letting it nurture. But you must understand that when we first started this parable, there's a conjunction. Okay, I learned this from Chris Young. A conjunction, okay, in Greek, in the original language, I felt that the better translation would be and he spoke or then he spoke because it's a connection with the first part of the story. And that's the pretext. And the pretext was the season that some of them told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with the sacrifice. And then they say, these Galileans, they are worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things. Because those people were, were killed in an accident. And, and then Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, no. Don't look at people and judge them and think they're worse sinners because they've done something wrong. Don't look at them, oh, because they have gay lifestyle or they have this lifestyle. Don't judge others based on your perspective. But begin to understand that Jesus is reminding us that we are all sinners. We are broken. And then Jesus said, no. Unless you repent, metanoia, Change your ways. 
turn your heart back to God, you will all likewise perish. We come before God in fear and trembling because we have a God who is fully righteous, but yet fully merciful and gracious. And He's calling us today. He's saying, are you bearing fruit? Fruit that will last. Fruit that is evidential. Fruit that is gracious, that is real, that is not fake. And if that's you, praise God, because those who acknowledge, those who are humble enough to say, God, me, I need help. God is going to pour His Spirit on you today. It's going to change you and transform you. I'm going to close with this poem that I read many years back, many years back when, when I was a teenager. And I remember this story always as a story to remind myself that I need tuning. And the poem said this, Tours was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin. So he held up with a smile and said, What am I to beat good people? He cried. Who will start beating for me? One dollar? I hear one dollar. Two? Two dollars? Three dollars? Going twice? Going for three? But then there was a voice at the back of the room that said, No! A grey-bearded man came forward, picked up the bow and wiped off the dust and start tuning the violin. He played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angels sings. The music ceased and everyone stood up and gave a standing ovation. The auctioneer then said with a voice that is mellowed and low, and said, what now am I to beat for this old violin holding with its bow? And then he heard 1,000. And he said, is that two? 2,000 is that three? 3,000 going once, going twice, and gone. The audience cheered, and some of them cried. He said, they said to one another, we don't understand what change is worth. And then the auctioneer came to them and said, it is the touch of the master's hand. It is the touch of the master's hand on the old and unused violin. And today God is tuning our lives like the old violin. It is changing us and we need the touch of the master's hands. And for those of us who say, yes, God, I am one that longs to bear more fruits for you. I invite you to stand with me and raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you. At the count of three, one, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to close with this song. Those who are standing, just remain standing and lift up your hands. And I felt really the Spirit of God is here moving hearts. Do not resist, but allow God to check your heart. You see, God is not here to bring condemnation, but to bring restoration. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Those who are weak and 
Tune us, refine us, dig around our soil, let us bear good fruits for you. Make us a servant to others, Lord. Help us to see things from your perspective. We respond to you today, Lord. Those who are standing together, help us, Lord, to make our life count for you because our days are numbered. And so we pray for the Spirit of God to move in our midst, to stir us, Lord, for a godly discontent, that we will lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name.